Episode 1119, Mixing It Up with Midnight Mass. I'm still getting the hang of this new computer. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian Bringing You Theology at I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Betty Bono. It's all right. It's all right. They probably didn't even notice. I bet it's noticeable to us, but not to the, not to the, the users. If the music came in real soft. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to... Almost a Halloween episode in some ways. It, it kind of is. I mean, it's December, but you know, early it's all December. Right. Well, you know, there's a fine tradition of I think December ghost stories with uh, Charles Dickens, of course. We we'll make it work. But I've been talking about this Netflix series, Midnight Mass, from Mike Flanagan for two years. I think I watched it shortly after it came out in 2021, mm-hmm. and I think I recommended it to you, you early on. With the caveat that you know, I I know you don't like horror, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not, it's it's not super like gory horror. Exactly. That's what I don't like. Exactly. And as we've talked about, I think your heart is softening on the horror genres, particularly the monster genre. Maybe. Although I don't want to say too much about this for people who like. I want to talk non-spoilers, at least okay. at first. But you went and watched Midnight Mass. Yeah. I rewatched it. Yeah. I love it. But do you love it? That's the you question. You know, don't you? I do know. I do love it. <laughs> I think Isn't I, it great? I I don't have my review in front of me. I'll get it right now. I gave it either four and a half or five you, full you stars. You did give it five stars. Yeah, and it's a you know it's a mini series. There's a couple things we can nitpick. I, I actually have three specific nitpicks we'll get into when we do this. But would you agree with me that the best thing for people who haven't seen this is a to watch it and b to watch it without knowing anything? Like, just let the story unfold. Yeah, that worked well for me. Did you happen to see what I wrote about it? I did. Yeah. I did. So I was keeping some notes. Because it's a miniseries, I was keeping some notes as the episodes were going along. But then I wrote some overall notes. But, yes, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to talk in full about it. But uh, if I just want to say something non-spoiler, even as a person who doesn't like horror, this worked for me. Uh, I mean, there's as a Christian, there were themes in there that were interesting to explore. I liked it. Yeah, so a, a brief synopsis is a a priest shows up on a New England island and mysterious, maybe miraculous things begin yeah, happening. It's a town that lives on a secluded island. On, only way to get there is a ferry. You can't drive yep. on and off the island. Now, Mike Flanagan's adapted a few different Stephen King uh, novels, and this very much has a Stephen King feel to it. It feels like a great Stephen King novel that that never actually existed. There was some. We'll talk about it later. I won't spoil it right now. Yeah. But there were interpretations of the Bible that, although wrong, it was just interesting to explore. Oh yeah, no. The, there's a whole theological dimension to this, and Mike, yeah. Mike Flanagan's background is he's a a ex Catholic. He was raised Catholic. He's now an atheist. But and I was thinking about this, like, okay, would people leave the church? Their Catholicism in particular, or Christianity in general, they, they lose their faith. Uh, they, it tends to go a few different ways. You know, it's you have people who I think the most common is people just indifferent to it, which is kind of the I was raised Christian or Catholic or whatever. And, you know, I go sometimes like Christmas and Easter, but it plays no meaningful part in your life. And I think that's the most common. And then I think the next most common is people who become very hostile, very, very hostile to the faith. And, you know, it's like you can't even talk to those people because everything's just in the most negative lens. And then 
the most intriguing category, though, of people are people who fall away, but there's this appreciation and there's this active conversation that goes along with this. And that's where Mike Flanagan falls into. He's not a believer, but he you can see this deep appreciation for Catholicism and the liturgy especially that comes through in this. And outside of one major nitpick, the, the Catholicism's accurate in like the, the way the liturgy is portrayed. And in fact, one of the things that won me over to the show early on is when this priest shows up, and we'll, we'll talk spoilers in just a second, but staying in the non-spoilers, when he shows up in his first Mass, it's ordinary time or, or the church year, and he comes out in uh, green or in, in gold vestments. And me as the snobbish Catholic, I'm sitting there watching this thinking, that's wrong. He should be wearing green. And so, like, I'm feeling very smug that they're just getting all the Catholic details wrong. And then a character calls about, like, it actually becomes a plot point yeah. in the show. And so Mike Flanagan goes out of his way to get things right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I, and when you just think about the characters, we're barely talking about the characters. But so there's an, a story that's happening that you're getting sucked into. But then he's also along the way building the characters and making you care about, I mean, I don't want to say a dozen, but there's, yeah, there's it's an ensemble five cast. to ten characters that you're invested in. Yeah. I will say this. My only my only nitpick would be I I had a sense of where things were going because you and I had talked about it. not exactly. Yep. But something monsterish. I mean it is uh, a horror. Yeah. You know so you know that like when things are really good at first, like there's another shoe that's going to yeah. drop. So I think it took me three episodes to get into this. Yeah. So it's only seven episodes long. The first two, I, w- I-, I was going to stick with it, but I was kind of like, all right, when's it going to get to it? But then what I'll say about, about the show as a whole. And I know which episode won you over. When you finish the season, those early episodes are so important. Yes. But I mean, if you're like me, you they may drag a little bit. But yeah, then it it picks up quickly. Yeah. I, what did you feel about that? Your, yeah, on your that, first viewing, did yeah. you have anything like that? Well, so I... I had previously watched and not enjoyed, though I want to rewatch it, his adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, so I I was skeptical about Mike Flanagan going in. And so it took me a minute to be won over. I think that, that the vestment thing, which I think happens pretty early on, was I, I got more invested as we went on, but that was the moment where it's like, oh, okay, this is... A, it's not going to be just a dump on Catholic show, mm-hmm. and they're taking the time to get it right, and there seems to be interesting things going on. But so I'd say it took me an episode or two, but I, I liked it a lot. The other thing I love, just in the non-spoiler category, is the music in the show. Oh yeah, is like the the recordings of the hymns. I I hate the Chris Tomlin effect where you take a hymn and then halfway through, like you turn it into your little performance. You know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Chris Tomlin just he just has ruined so many hymns. And here comes this atheist, and he comes out with some of the best recordings. Oh, the hymns. My favorite one, which in the context of the show, it's actually the the villain singing it at the time. Oh yeah. But this, they do the full version of uh, "Holy God, We Praise Thy Name," like all eight verses, which you never hear, and it starts as an acapella, 
and then builds with the organ accompaniment and the choral accompaniment. And it's like if you just I've listened to that on the soundtrack just on its own many, many times. And it's incredibly well done. Outside of the hymns also, just the atmospheric yes. soundtrack yes. sets the tone so perfectly. Yeah. So Chris Tomlin, you've been one up by atheist Mike. Last thing maybe about Mike Flanagan. <laughs> Which is not what he goes by. <laughs> you know, he is slated. He's So Fall of yeah. House of Usher was his last Netflix series. He's moving over to Amazon, and he has the rights to the Dark Tower. He has the rights? Yes. Or is he... When you say he I, has I don't know if he personally does, yeah. but he is currently tied to the Dark Tower. I have heard this. I heard that Stephen King is on board with what he's working on. I would love it. I don't think there's anybody better. You talk about ensemble cast. Yes. That's what, you need somebody who can help. And that. who understands, the who's adapted many Stephen King novels already, but just has a storytelling, filmmaking ethos that parallels well with Stephen King. So this is not part of the spoiler section, but I don't know if you want to save this, but there is... It's intriguing that this story idea for Midnight Mass has been in Mike Flanagan's head for right. a while, and so I haven't seen a lot of his other. I haven't seen any of his other work. Yeah, but I did some research afterwards just because I was so into it, and I find out that in one of his other films or series, there's a character who's writing the yes. book called Midnight Mass, and he, I haven't seen it, but I know I know the reference you're talking yeah. about. You see and the novel, yeah. So this person's working on the novel, and she's. Re- referencing characters in this other movie or show or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so he's had this, and that was before this got greenlit. Yep. It's just, he's had this idea floating around he, for a he while. He tried to develop it as a novel. He wanted to do it as a movie. I mean, the character of Riley is really his stand-in. I, I mean, he didn't kill anybody, but he was, uh, he's, he's, I'm pretty sure he's a recovering alcoholic and, you know, the ex-Catholic and everything. And so a lot of that, like Riley's journey in, in as a character is coming to peace both with his addiction and with his his faith that he's left behind and so it is very personal in that perspective. The last thing I'll say before we do the spoilers is for those early episodes that I I'll just admit wasn't as into there are crucial clues in yeah. those first episodes. Yeah. So if you're going to if we if you're hearing this spoiler section I, I guess I just want to say pay attention because the whole thing is building. It, it and building's the right word, and it it's an it's just an incredible work. Okay, so let's get into spoilers. Right here it is. So everybody, if There's you haven't no seen back. it, just just go watch it. It it's so so good. So I've got my episode by. We're not going to read this, but I just have my own personal notes ready. Yeah, and yeah, I mean episode one. Like I said, I see it. It's fine. Nothing was really scary. No, made it through. A little boring, yeah. But it built. I mean, it builds, like we said. Yeah. So, where do you want to go with this? Uh, like, what? Where did it take off for you? I, I'll. I told you episode three. So episode three is the flashback one, where where you see, uh, Father Paul, Father Monsignor Pruitt, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, wanders away from his tour group and gets eaten by a vampire basically <laughs> wait can we just talk about i yeah I, mean, I know it's so early in this conversation where we're spoiling but the number one thing i love about this show did you read my review do you know what i'm gonna say i i think i do the thing i love about this show more than anything anything even in the story is the fact that the word vampire is never once used yeah it it just gave me this idea that these characters are living in a world where 
vampire mythology isn't a part of pop culture the you way you have it is to here. buy into that conceit, right? Is that what I mean? You got to the same place, to- totally. Because otherwise, immediately they were saying vampires. They the clues are all there from what we know about e- pop exactly. culture vampires. They never said there's one small line where the doctor says something about an old mythology, but it's not. I mean, it's just cool to think that they're living in a world where a vampire is not a term you would throw around. Right. Like, in real life, somebody's going to look over to their copy of Dracula and, wait a wait, second. This all seems very familiar. <laughs> but that's part of what, like, you not only have to, uh, and I'm okay with giving, you have to give stories things like that sometimes, and this one earns it, but part of what is so powerful about the show and I think would be ruined if they had somebody looking at Dracula and saying, wait a second, is that like Father Paul is a tragic figure. Yes, he is a villain in some ways. He introduces this evil into the town, but he's a tragic figure because he misinterprets an evil event as a miracle. Well, here's the thing, though. We like it. It's good that the term vampire wasn't used because if it was. There's some automatic negative connotation around yes. that word. Instead, he doesn't think it's evil. He thinks and it's it an might angel. not be. Right. It might not be evil. We think it's evil because we know vampires are bad. It might be an angel in this world. I, I have a harder time. <laughs> not like an that. angel from yeah, God right, like in a, or a demon. Yeah, maybe a demon. Yes. Yeah. I guess I can't say an angel that was serving God. Yes, but, very much not. But yeah. I, I think they can't use the word vampire because that word would make them think, okay, but vampires are the bad guys, and none of them think they're the bad guys. Yes. They think that there's a miracle happening. Yes. And that they're about to save the world. Yes. And that's what's so incredible about it because we understand that's not what's happening, that this is evil, that this is wrong, and that ultimately uh, he's, even from a theological perspective, Father Paul goes off the rails. Like he becomes an arch heretic by the end of this, just from a theological perspective. But he starts out thinking that he's doing good. And that's why he's such a good character. You know, another thing I was thinking about is we've seen a lot of zombie shows where the source of, uh, like the, the catalyst that makes the world and zombies is some sort of virus or an outbreak. Yeah. But I've never really seen vampirism treated like that. And that's what they do here. They make it something. But that's what I'm saying. Is it evil? Because it's they have a virus. I mean, you can look I, at it that way. But I think within within the story, the world that's being constructed, yeah. it is very much presented as a false Eucharist. So the angel character, what I saw from that character is this is what would happen to a human if they lived with this virus long enough. Not that I don't I, I don't think it's a demon or an angel. I don't even know if it's a vampire. Oh, unless you just use that word to label somebody who drinks blood to live longer. <laughs> yeah, I I see I, I can see that interpretation. I think w- what's more interesting to me, and this is maybe the Catholic interpretation coming out, is that there is this idea of you know, the Eucharist as the body and blood of Christ is the source and summit of the Catholic faith. Um, like that's it. That is outside of heaven, the highest expression of faith. And then what, whatever this angel is introduces its blood into the, the sacrament, and it appears to be miraculous, but it's 
actually demonic. So I do think it's evil within the... I understand what you're saying, that if you were to take this as more literal, but within the 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 economy of the values of the show, what's happening is evil. In vampire mythology, vampires are demons, right? Or are they demonic? Or are they based out of some sort of satanic thing? Yeah, it's it's definitely... I don't know if they're necessarily demonic, but they are evil. Like in different shows, like I know Buffy is not the main one right. to go to, but I think they're considered demons there. But then if I think about something like Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think it's some sort of curse from God. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, the cross repels mm-hmm. vampires in the Holy traditional... Water. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that oh, but you did notice in this story the cross did nothing to right. So right. the only thing that repelled them, help me out here, sun. But there, sun, there was nothing else, right? I don't think so. But yeah, so it's it's not you know perfect vampire mythology, but it is. It's very like that's part of the thematic conversation that's going on in this series, and that's why it's so cool, you know, that Mike Flanagan, where he falls in that third category of the the non-believer I'm talking about, because like he's crafted a story where it, you can almost take it as a defense of the Eucharist, yeah. even though that's not necessarily what he's intending. So, whose blood was the priest sneaking into? The, the communion was it the angels his? so yeah that's what i was wondering was it could it have been the priest's own blood or did not it have until to be? after he dies because remember he dies yeah i didn't exactly the, the only part i didn't personally follow although it didn't affect my enjoyment is i didn't get why the priest showed up and didn't die from until, the sunlight yeah it seemed like his transformation seemed a lot different than everybody else's transformation. It was a little bit confusing. So I, I tracked it more in the second viewing. So when he goes into the cave and he he's like bit by the vampire. Re- regenerated. Yes, he drinks the vampire's blood uh-huh. in the cave, but he doesn't die. Like He is not killed at that point. So he's still fully human. And then, but So he just thinks, I've met an angel, yep. and now I'm going to bring this angel with me to exactly. save my town. Yes, and then over time, he has it long enough where this thing kills him. Like he's just been the ingesting the blood exactly. so long that he just he dies. From, and we see him in those early episodes getting worse and worse and worse physically yeah. until he eventually dies. And at that point, he's now a vampire because he can't go into the sunlight. So why did the angel kill everybody else differently than the priest character? Well, the angel doesn't like kill Riley. everybody. Think of Riley. Else. So Riley is just attacked. Straight out. Yeah. So Riley doesn't go through this whole sacrament thing. He's killed by the angel. And then for everybody else later on in in the finale, uh, Father Paul wants them to die because he's at this point decided that's the sacrament. Like that's the fast conversion. Yes. Yeah. The fact that they've... this. I mean, this is... It's so good. I, I know you don't like the virus part as much, but they've been ingesting this virus, this right. vampire blood for days weeks at this point i think just days right yeah i mean i don't mind the virus part it just isn't as interesting to me as the theology and so the conversion doesn't have to be a vampire going around and biting everybody yeah you just have to die because you already have the vampire blood in you exactly exactly what do you think about the fact that the vampire blood or i'll say the angel's blood does have positive effects on people's bodies i mean it it's a really astute, again, really astute understanding of evil, of sin, from a 
Christian, but especially, and I'm going to say Catholic, not to exclude other under, uh, 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 Protestant understandings of, of sin, but because Flanagan's background is Catholic, is that sin is that. It is the fast answer. It is like sin is alluring because it does provide that something. Like it provides something you're looking for and it provides it often quickly and powerfully, but then it kills you from the inside. It's a very astute understanding of of Catholic evil. I can see from my notes that after episode two, of course, I know there's a monster coming, so I just make a guess because I saw your that's guess. That's just, just a big, angry bird because I knew it had wings, of course. But and I didn't know what kind of monster I was going to be dealing with here. At what point did you figure out what was happening, or was it not until episode three? Where yeah, they really it was. Showed? It was episode three, and I, I feel what? watching it again, I was like, I should have picked up on it. Before yeah, totally. That. There's a lot of clues. Yeah, uh, especially that the you know, Father Paul is Monsignor Pruitt. Hey, what is a Monsignor? So Monsignor is. Uh, just a title for a priest. It can be given to a, a, it's like a special distinguishing title that can be given by a bishop to a priest. So it'd typically be an older priest, somebody who's put in many, many, many years of service, distinguished himself, that type of thing. Okay. Okay. So yeah, episode three just blows up the story. All right. Where, where do you want to go with the next part of your conversation? So I want to, there's a few individual scenes that I really, really love, uh, the first one is, uh, so we have this girl in the wheelchair. She's the first, outside of Father Paul, the, the first recipient of the miracle. I love the scene where she goes into the trailer of the guy mm-hmm. who shot her. Mm-hmm. It's so well written. And and Mike Flanagan, at his worst, overwrites those scenes. And you could nitpick a few instances of that in, in Midnight Mass. And those scenes come off as more sappy than genuine. That one is so powerful because you have this drunk who has to live with what he did, did, and he's you know blasted out of his mind. Then he opens the door, and it's this girl who he shot standing there. And his reaction is we incredible. Don't, we see his yes. We see him when the door opens. He reacts like he's seen a monster, right? And this is a little girl, right? And then her getting into you know. I'm angry at you, but I forgive you. It's an incredible monologue. It's so well acted by both of them and so well written. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole in the whole series. She gets to the point of forgiveness because she's experienced a miracle. Would she have been able to get there? If right. She, I if mean, that's that's a great question because and how does she feel after it's all over? Uh, because the final line yeah, in the, the series line. is "I can't feel my legs," and that's it's almost a victorious line. Right. Right. So is it? I, I we would have to just uh, be guessing at this point, but it appears the main angel or the angel dies in the sun at the end. Correct? Yeah. Although I, it's it, ambiguous, it is ambiguous. And I saw what you wrote in your review, and I do agree. I think that he's. I don't think he's intending to do a sequel. I think he's playing. It's kind of a common horror trope. Yeah. Of the monster lives on, yeah. or there's always that level of ambiguity. I think that's what he's doing there more than setting up a sequel. But I, I did agree with what you wrote that it would be unfortunate if this became a sequel because yeah. of that. Okay, so let's just assume it does die. Yeah. Does everything that its blood impacted, the, like does his does the blood have less power once it's dead? I guess what I'm asking is, since she is now not able to walk anymore, 
the blood has lost its power on her or has she just gone long enough without ingesting it? So I took it more as she's gone long enough, but I guess it's a traditional vampire trope that when the vampire dies, all of the sub-vampires die too. So you could take it either way, I guess. So some of the people on the island, the good guys, like the ones that never like succumbed to what was happening, they potentially could have lived if they had lasted a little longer. Yes. At what point were you watching the finale and realizing no one's surviving oh, this? Oh, the finale's so wild. It's so wild. And and this gets into one of my other favorite scenes in there. And I think, again, he speaks to the really good understanding Mike Flanagan has. I'm going to criticize his theology a little bit later in, in nitpicks at one point. Uh, but of of Catholic doctrine, because you have these people, and like there's this moment where they realize that they've done wrong and Bev Keen is just being Bev Keen and, and evil and horrible. But the rest of them, like there's the, the final scenes of the other members of the Island who who've become vampires is so powerful because they are seeking forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Like they realize it's not, they are not irredeemable. Yeah. This is another thing I liked about this version of a vampire. They're not out of their mind. Yes. They're still themselves. Yes. With a hunger that does impact them, but they can still they stop resist the, it. Yeah, they can resist it. Oh, uh, and the just you talk about just great filmmaking. The a cappella singing of Near My God to Thee as the sun is coming in is unbelievable. It's again, that's one of the the three scenes I really wanted to highlight. That that's the second one. Uh that's just out of this world good. I do kind of think I want to say the word dumb, but not so dumb I didn't enjoy it. But I do think it's kind of dumb that Bev decides to burn everything down and that leads to their ultimate destruction. Like, wh- why? Why did she think that that was a great idea? If she, right. had, if she had just left even one building fine, yeah. they, this vampire outbreak could have Well, spread. and she did. Remember, I, she I did. She I, does leave the rec okay, center. I guess I shouldn't have said just one because... Uh, but yes. Yeah. If they had not burned down the town, this thing would keep on going. Right. Right. Uh, there, there's your wild sequel. Somebody shows up at the island. <laughs> uh, the third scene that I love is Riley's death scene. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. And yeah, what, that, what, that is, it, it's sad. It's sad, but Powerful, it's so but good, good yeah. because his fight, like he's been seeing this girl he killed, and he sees her as she was at the accident, like bloody and and maimed and everything. And his final vision, he sees her whole again. It's so good. It's so, so good. Yeah, and the whole time, so he's telling his story of what happened to him, and you wonder, is this going to end with him killing right. his girlfriend? Right. And it, the total reverse of that, this huge sacrifice, yeah, it, it's moving. It really is. So I do have three nitpicks. Okay. Um, one of them is a Catholic nitpick. So the the one really bad liturgical miss that he has, one of them is a character nitpick, and then one of them is a theology nitpick. Which uh, and that last one I'd say is more of a discussion. Like I'm, Mike Flanagan's putting a discussion point out there and in conversation with it. So my liturgy nitpick is, uh, they have the the crock pot potluck or whatever it is for this this big feast that they're having that's early on in the episode and it takes place on ash wednesday ash wednesday is a fast day Mm. no catholic church in the world is sponsoring a potluck (laughs) on ash wednesday 
And it's a really small thing. Like the the series gets so much right with Catholicism, but that's such an obvious miss. I don't get it. Would it I mean, yeah, you're right. It's so obvious. Is it possible he did it on purpose to make a statement? Then what is the statement? I don't know what the statement would be yeah. because it, it like it it makes them look dumb. Okay. <laughs> it makes them look like dumb Catholics. Okay, my character nitpick is we learn later on that that Father Paul Monsignor Pruitt. Uh, had an affair and he fathered a child and part of his plan was to give get his lover back to where she was so they could be together i hate that okay i actually hate that and part of why is because what makes father paul such a great character both as a character but then even more so thematically is that he's a good priest and to make the show work thematically like the central conceit is he is do, doing what he thinks is right. And in the name of doing what he thinks is, is right, as a good priest, he unleashes this terrible evil. And that's why it's a tragedy. He's a, he's a villain because he makes this horrible misunderstanding, not because he's evil. But then you introduce this, and it's like, well, okay, so he's not all that great of a priest. And... His motivation's now clouded because it's less him coming to back to do right by his parishioners than it is uh, resurrecting his lover. Like a selfish decision. Yes. Yeah. Is it possible that he needed to have some evil in him for this whole thing to work with the angel? I don't know. I'm just wondering. Like, Why would they do that? Because that whole subplot, if you can even call it that, is a last episode add-on yeah. that seems to be out of nowhere. Although there exactly. was... I'm sure you realize as you rewatch it, there were a few clues. Like when he he said something to his daughter, like "I'm proud of you." Early in the season, yep. When he thought he was dying. and at the at the potluck, she mentions how oh he's staring at me yeah, just yeah, like yeah, Monsignor yeah. Pruitt. Oh yeah, yeah. So it it's not totally out of nowhere, but it is a little bit. Yeah. So I guess I just wonder you could get rid of it. Yeah, could they get rid of it? And so it, since they could so easily get rid of it. Is it there for a reason? Like, did he have to have some sort of grain of evil in him to be able to do this? I, I could see that interpretation, but I don't buy it. I think he's a stronger character without it. Because Riley made a mistake, but his goodness seemed to be something that allowed him to resist. In the end, even though we like the priest, he he's not willing to resist. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I just think the theme of a good man misinterpreting mm. something to great tragedy is better the more the better a priest he is yeah. and because also you know father paul his homilies they go off the rails towards the end but early on like he's really good yes, he's the, charismatic yes I, in my review i wrote about how he actually this actor is actually a very good preacher he really is like he draws you in yeah and what he's saying does kind of make sense. <laughs> right. Even as a vampire. Okay, so my, my last nitpick, which isn't a nitpick, but it's more just entering into the thematic conversation, is so before Riley dies, he and his girlfriend have these this conversation about what happens when you, you die. Mm -hmm. She offers kind of the traditional religious version. You see your loved ones, everything. He offers this, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, we're just atoms. Mm -hmm. It's very depressing and everything. And then when she dies, she gives a third version, which is presumably Mike Flanagan's own thoughts. And it's sort of, I think, intended to be, 
a compromise between the two of, I'm not religious, but I'm still looking for this higher meaning of we're one with the stars and the universe. And let me just say, Mike, that is so underwhelming. Like, that is such an underwhelming answer. Because the show sort of ends with that. Yes. Like, isn't that right? Towards Ex- exactly. Yeah. So you have not found some brilliant marriage between the atheist and Catholic views. You've just dressed up the atheist view, and it's still nihilistic and awful. So not a nitpick of the show, because he can bring whatever perspective he wants to the show, and he was tremendously respectful of Catholicism throughout, so my hat's off to him. But he treats it as though he's found a third, a middle ground, a third path between these opposing ideas, and he has not, to that extent, a miserable failure of, of theological imagination, just really bad. Yeah, that is too bad. I'm just looking at the dates I finished these episodes, and you can see when, when I, it really kicks in for me. So I watched the first episode on November 2nd, then a few days later on the sixth, second episode, then I wait almost 10 days, and on the 15th, I finished episode three, which is great. I watched the next two episodes on the 16th, and then the next two, and finish it off on the 17th. It's like 15, 16, 17, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Uh, like, at, did you also kind of have that oh, yeah. feeling where you yeah, just... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Because it, it does, even rewatching it, I think, I I like the all the episodes, but I do agree with you that it builds, it gets better and better and better. So you said in your review at one point, and I think this was just a comment as you were watching it, that you were wondering if the show was blasphemous. Yeah. What, I, what was making you think that? Let's see. I, I got it right here. It's from episode five, which is called Gospel. Yeah, I said the show keeps getting better and better, but I was starting to worry it was getting sacrilegious. I think it was just because they were quoting Bible verses, but then making it apply to vampire mythology. I, I, I can't remember exactly what they said, but it did just kind of feel like, are we crossing a line, or is it just a fun monster show? Well, I'd say neither, actually, because that's, I mean, that's exactly what Satan does in The Temptation of the Wilderness, and that's the, the theme of the show, is you can be a well-meaning person with well-meaning beliefs and apply those beliefs in the wrong way for horrible results. Okay. Like, so I, I actually think it fits very, very well. I, I, I don't find it sacrilegious at all. All right. Perfect. Well, good. I can not feel bad about that. Five stars. Love I it. agree. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, liked Follow the House of Usher, his follow-up series, but nowhere near as good as, as Midnight Mass. This feels like a career best. Hard right. to top. Oh, like you feel like this guy cannot do better at this point? Oh, I'd love to see him, you know, pull out Dark Tower, but I think you know, it's the perfect marriage of material and, you know, personal investment and it, acting. It just, just feels like this one would be hard to top. I would love it if we get a wonderful Dark, Dark Tower series from him. I agree. Do you know, is it supposed to be a series I or a film? I think so. After we the, tried the film, it didn't work. After the credits, I want to talk about more about Dark Tower. But listeners, for now, that's all from here. I am Matt Anderson. I am Bandy Bono. Now we're the Cypher Christians. Signing off. Goodbye. You know, if they did do a sequel to this, they called it more Midnight Mass. Midnight Masser. Midnight Masser. <laughs> Midnight Ear. All right. So you and I have been enjoying Blood Meridian. Are you listening yeah, to I'm it? Yeah, I'm listening to it right now. And I'm trying to fast track it because I can tell you're like. Well, I am reading it slowly, though. Okay. 
Like been, I have slowed down because I've gone back. Okay, I could. Uh, it seemed to me that you're. So, listeners, this is for the book poster. I'm totally obsessed. Like I, yeah. I haven't been this obsessed with a book in a long time. So over on the extra feed, of course, we're going through a uh, hundred great novels, and uh, so you can find that Patreon.com/slash the Sci-Fi Christian. But I was going to say, when I first started Bloodbridian, before I really got even into the story, and you just you're following the cadence of the narrator and just the the context of the story, I had a dark tower vibe to it i mean do you feel like it has sort oh, of a dark tower vibe? yeah i mean for sure uh, stephen king's writing out of kind of a dark western mm-hmm. and cormac mccarthy's very much doing the same thing and you know we'll we'll talk when we get there on interpretations but you can interpret a lot of what's happening in blood meridian through a supernatural lens as well i, I know we're not going to go into a blood meridian review right now but, but we could but just regarding you know we loved midnight mass You've been saying online uh, in our group messaging that you love the writing, and that for me, incredible. Again, I feel like I'm maybe going too far, but at this point, halfway through the novel, that's the best part. The story's fine. I, you, you probably want to fight me a little bit on that, I, but, I, but, I the will, that but the thing that stands out to me is the prose. Oh, the pro, and that's why. So I started listening to it on audiobook, and I got about three fourths of the way through, and I'm going to finish the audiobook, but after afterwards so i've gone back and i'm now oh. reading it very slowly and very carefully i'm about halfway through a little less on the kindle because i'm just highlighting passages okay. and writing down words i don't you know because there's the vocabulary is just incredible in it yeah you had mentioned potentially doing a deep dive not a full deep dive but are you thinking I think like we might a, need to do a full deep dive a full chapter by ch- i can't i can't go back and do it again i well, chapter by chapter, deep. I dive. think we we might have to. I think we're gonna finish it, and then you can do whatever you want, and I'll be there for the ride. Okay, that that's totally fine. Yeah, because it, I, I honestly won't be surprised if, I, if you hate this book because it's very violent. I don't hate it, but I I don't love it the way you love it. But I do really appreciate what I'm reading so far. I think even if you weren't to re reread it, going through a deep dive, you would come to new appreciation for it. When you say deep dive, are you talking about multi-week? Oh yeah, yeah. I like I have so many. I just highlights. don't know if I want to commit to that. Well, you don't have to read it again. I mean, but it is taking up our. Yeah, it's I know. Taking up our space. I know, there. but it's. How about maybe a few weeks, but not like. Let's. I just don't want to do like how many chapters are there? I don't even know. 13. Twenty. Twenty chapters. Yeah, I don't know why to do. No, no, not twenty weeks. Like four <laughs> weeks. All right, I'll think about it. Four weeks of Blood Meridian. I don't want to commit to it, but we can talk about it. All right. Two it, or three. It's incredible. It's in, there's no way you could do this in two weeks. <laughs> oh, sorry. So if you haven't started Blood Meridian yet, you should. And go find us discussing it over at patreon.com forward slash the sci-fi Christian. You should, before we discuss it, have you seen No Country for Old Men? Mm-mm, haven't seen it. You should at least watch the movie. Okay. It, wait, is that is it an adaptation of Blood Meridian? No, no, it's Cormac McCarthy. It's another novel of his, though, oh. and they're very much in conversation with each other. Okay. So, I'm I'm now rereading No Country in parallel with Blood Meridian. Okay. So you have some time because all this is going to oh, take man. me. A I've while. been like, I kind of was rushing it because I thought you're going to be done so fast. Oh, savor it. Go oh. back and listen to it again. <laughs> all right, listeners, that's it. Join us. So long, folks. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, I don't want to let you down. I don't love it like you love it. No, but, that's right. But I, I like it. It is like a Western Moby Dick. I think I'm sitting at if it two was stars. The, no, if it was the end right now, three and a half. I have. I'm halfway done. So I maybe it'll win me over. I, I, 
wait to wait to rate it until I I have a until, chance until to deep talk, dive yeah. until I can talk to you. Like the actual literal level could be. I I didn't read it supernaturally. Although at first, oh my gosh, I don't know how you couldn't. Well, when it first started, I this is because of the Dark Tower influence. I I thought, is this in like an apocalyptic Western? It, it's written that way. But but then I went. I had to go to Wikipedia just to find out, and it it says it's just set in the past. Well, I'm not expecting a definitive interpretation. Like I don't think a, there's going to be a last page reveal. They were dead all along. Yeah. But you can already interpret it as though they're all in hell. Oh, I like that. Well, I mean, they have the character, the ex-priest. Yep, yep. Uh, and the judge, where he has his little monologue about nothing in creation it can anything that exists without my consent offends me. Okay, well, I'm so good. I'm glad that you said it could be considered apocalyptic because that's right where I went. Like I, when I, I'm starting the book, I'm picturing this in the distant future. Wars have ravaged the world, and we're back to a Western style living. No, it, it's a historical novel. In fact, Judge Holden and Glanton are historical characters. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're real people. Okay. Uh, so it's historical, but like, there's whole, you know, early on, there's that uh, one of the earlier chapters where they're going through, like when he's in the army, and they're just describing the crossing of the desert. It's very purgatorial. Okay. Wow. Very, very purgatorial. Uh so I wasn't recording again before we started talking about this again. I'll put this at the end of that episode. So you you were saying before I started recording that you view this potentially supernaturally. I'm really excited because, and I haven't looked at this yet, but you know the iceberg meme I've shared with you for yeah. Dune? So I found one for Blood Meridian. Oh, man. And I haven't gone through it, but, but like the top of the iceberg, which is you know the most normal interpretation, says Judge Holden is Satan. <laughs> At the top. I can't wait. I haven't looked at it. I'm not going to, but I can't wait wow. to find out what's down at the bottom of the iceberg. Okay. Well, I, just the fact that that exists does make me even more intrigued. Oh, by you, you, have, like, you have to dig into some of the scholarship, both formally and amateur level of Blood Meridian. Okay. Like, in fact, it was kind of funny because I was on Reddit. I was reading the Cormac McCarthy subreddit and somebody had made a comment. I wish there was something like a Bible study for Blood Meridian where you just go through it chapter by <laughs> oh, chapter. So if we do a deep dive, like, we can sell it. People want deep dives. Oh, would you post on Reddit uh, yeah, our links? we'd find a way. All right, if, I'll give you four weeks if you promise to post those links on Reddit. Four weeks, four to five weeks sounds uh, great. No, okay. Um, uh, four weeks, there was four one, weeks. One more thing I was going to say, what was it? Oh, yeah. So last spring, I started Deadwood. And yeah. Again, liked it i didn't love it i didn't quit i always plan on going back but reading this actually got me back into deadwood well that's great so there you go no connections though totally different western very different but western nonetheless one's in south dakota and one's in mexico or hell or hell